What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hey everybody, another Baseball America podcast. J.J. Cooper, Carlos Colazzo joining you to talk draft. Yes. It's only, what, nine months away? 279 days, to be exact. That feels, you know... It, it'll We've got be, some time. <laughs> but it'll be here sooner than we could ever imagine, is the other part of that. Yes, it is, it's definitely not something that's probably on most, at least casual baseball fans' if minds. You're but if you're listening to this, yeah, if you're listening you're to this, you're not, you're not a casual fan. But even if you are a, a Baseball America subscriber, the draft probably isn't at the forefront of your mind just because playoff races are heating up. Uh, Unfortunately, a lot of those are already settled. <laughs> that's, that's fair. That's fair. There are a few, a few uh, spots still to be decided. But yeah, the season's winding down, uh, the minor league season's uh, winding down, but yeah, I think this is an interesting point to talk about the draft. It's a good place to put a pin in it because of... 100%. Yeah. We just finished the summer, basically. We just finished the well, summer showcase season. There are a couple events going on. Obviously, the 18U national team is playing the World Cup right now in Korea. Uh, they actually lost a game in group stages, which is unusual for that team. Um, and then on the college side... Uh, the college national team is wrapped up. The Cape is wrapped up. Teddy Cahill just put out our top 50 prospects for that league. Uh, but all the summer leagues kind of winding down. So the movement, obviously the summer is very important. Uh, it's not the end-all, be-all, but um, there's a reason that all of these events that we're talking about are heavily scouted and, and, and weigh very heavily and the different models that teams use and, w- and will be using next June. I want to dive in on that. Before we get into talking about the rankings yeah. themselves and the players and all that, I do want to dive into that, which is that that is important to note. Mm-hmm. Like, you can absolutely, the way I understand it mm-hmm. from talking to people, and I want to get your even more, hopefully more expert opinion than mine, but the way I understand it, you, it's not that a player is going to write themselves off as a draft prospect mm-hmm. over the summer, and it's not that a player is going to establish themselves as the, where they're going to end up, Yeah, obviously. That said, what you do in the Cape or what you do for USA, you know, especially on the college side, I would say, mm-hmm. but also on the high school side, especially if you're a high school player, from a you know, from a less traffic state. Yeah, and I would say probably this leans more towards hitters mm-hmm. than pitchers. Right, a pitcher can completely yes, but if you're a hitter, yeah, you can kind of create like a a sort of a ceiling and a floor of where you're going to go in the draft. If you have an awful cape with wood, yeah, I don't care what you do. That's upcoming spring. 
there's always going to be the question of, yeah, you did that with a metal bat, but yeah, no doubt. I mean, you look at some of the guys who who have struggled. I would say the track record of guys who've struggled significantly in the Cape and then turned out to be productive major leaguers is a very short list. Um, and at the same time, there are, I mean, the Giants model under the, a previous regime seemed to be very weighted towards, they, you know, if a guy had a terrible junior year, but mm-hmm. he had a good cape mm-hmm. as a hitter, they kind of threw out the junior year almost. Yeah, exactly. Because, and, and depending on what college you go to, and, and the same way for the high school players, depending on, on where you're playing, I mean, the summer competition could easily be the best competition that you're going to face in this entire draft cycle. If you're just talking about uh, this summer and then next spring, if you're a mid-major player at a smaller program who's not really facing top arms during the spring season, um, you're probably going to get a better look from scouts when you're facing some of the best pitchers in the class the summer previous. And obviously a lot of time uh, is in between the summer and, and June of next year. Um, but I do think it's very important, particularly for the hitters. I talked to a few scouts this summer, and I was just asking kind of um, which positions they're bearing down on. And I had a couple of them tell me that they don't even really worry too much about the pitchers at this point because the pitchers will figure themselves out next spring. I mean, there are guys on the college side who didn't even throw over the summer after handling a number of innings during the spring. Emerson many, Hancock. Many of the, be- many of the exactly. best pitchers in the class. Really, there's only... You could say there's only downside to throwing in the in the summer for a lot of these guys who have kind of already established themselves as the top arms in the class. Now there are some guys who have risen up our rankings by performing in the summer. But well, that's um, a different can, that's a different story. That exactly, is like room. that's elevating your stock. But but I do think that for the hitters, the summer is is very very important on both levels, and I think it's it's pretty obvious when you talk to really all the scouts who are out there. And I do think that that is a trend that is growing, though, is on the mm-hmm. pitching side, you are seeing more and more of the top, the absolute top pitchers in the class say, you know what, mm-hmm. I'm better off. And really, it's not like, this does not mean that what these guys are doing is they're just going away and sitting on the beach all summer. Mm-hmm. It means that they're focusing on basically, you know, resting, getting resting stronger, training, getting, getting shape, stronger. Exactly. But, yeah, I mean, the reality of it is, is from a purely practical standpoint, the Emerson Hancock's, you know, Kumar Rocker was on the, I mean, again, he's not even in this draft class, but Kumar Rocker was on the initial, like, CNT roster. Mm-hmm. Kumar Rocker, when it comes to, from a draft standpoint, what he does during the summer can't raise his stock much more for the 2021 draft because, no. you know, he's already. But, again, the other part of it is, and this is becoming an interesting debate on the pitching side especially, mm-hmm. on the pitcher side, the other question that's coming up with this is, like, okay, how much, I think it kind of depends on who you are as a pitcher. Mm-hmm. If you're a pitcher whose stuff is exceptional, but your command, your feel, you need that all needs refinement, mm-hmm. then summer leagues are great for you. Yeah, no doubt. You know, if you're a guy who's you've spent the last two years in the pen, you're going to be moving into starting rotation, you need to work as a starter, mm-hmm. great. If you're that guy who's already been working as a weekend starter, but the biggest knock is, is, you know, this guy's fastball is probably, you know, a, a tick below what it needs to be. Mm-hmm. Or you're a guy who, you know, really what it is is his, his changeup, those kind of things. Yeah. Not that you can't develop those, but, but we're seeing guys who say, you know what, I'm spending my summer really full bore training to try to develop these physical aspects. Yeah. If you're going to tell me, like, if the choices are, Am I going to be, you know, 
20 pounds heavier and throwing three miles an hour harder next mm -hmm. year or not, well, those kind of guys, it's probably better off to to spend the summer doing that too. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point. I'd be very curious to know how many pitchers kind of have that self-awareness to know what kind of a pitcher they are and what they need to improve. I feel like uh, players in this day and age are, are pretty smart about what they're doing. They're being coached by people that are pretty smart and have a bunch of information at their hands to make these decisions uh, and help them. But, but again, I think you're right. A guy like Carson Montgomery, I was talking with a coach about his, his progress throughout the summer, and he said he was exactly that kind of guy who – he had always had the stuff. Uh, the command maybe wasn't always there for him. But then after working with some coaches at the PDP League, he took a step forward in that regard. So I think there are definitely those examples um, to point out and to be aware of. So, okay, now we're going to dive in. So general state of the class. We'll start with the, the high school side. Mm -hmm. How do you see this high school class as we sit here 279 days away from with the first pick? Yeah, so I think this class, this might be the most exciting high school class for me to cover in the three years that I've kind of been at BA doing the draft. I know 2017 I was here for a few months, but wasn't around here. throughout the whole process. So this class is and very I'm deep. Say, and I'm going to throw in the, uh, you, were, you were involved in part in the uh, 2015 class as well. Yeah, yeah, during the summer of the 2015 yeah. class. But I, I would say this is a very deep class, certainly deeper than the 2019 class, which was top heavy and then fell off a little bit quicker. The pitching um, is better than 2019, I would guess at this point. I don't think it's the depth that the 2018 class was showing, but what's, what's interesting with this class to me is this is the first year that I've, again, been the full-time draft writer throughout the entire process and we don't have an obvious, clear-cut, kind of standout number one prospect. And there, um, I mean, it is... And I think there are maybe even 10 to 12 players who could play themselves into that spot by the time we're in June next year. I mean, the guy who we had number one entering the summer, Pete Crow Armstrong, he fell fairly significantly for what we would have had in the previous two years. But I don't think it's some sort of huge... I don't think the drop is as big as it might look like just because that top group of players seems to be so close together at this point. To put it in comparison, if Bobby Witt Jr. had fallen to number five on our end-of-summer list last year, yeah. that would have been a very dramatic fall because mm -hmm. he came into the summer as a clear one-slash-two. Yes. Right? Like where I would even say he was the clear one the whole time. For us, I don't believe his... I don't believe his prospect ranking on the high school list ever was anything but number one. And then when we had our combined list... I don't think he was anything other than two or three. Andrew Vaughn briefly went above him. Um, but I think he was pretty much locked into that from pole to pole, similar to Adley Rushman on the college side. Right. And, yeah, Adley Rushman on the college side, I mean, it was like... There was no doubt. He's dumb. We, we, we were kind of at this time last year saying with Adley Rushman, like if he had come down with mono and missed the entire yeah. junior season, we're like, yeah, he's still the number one Exactly. Prospect. You know, and so, so that's... There's, on the high school side, that is not the case this year. Not the case at all. I mean, there's a group of players. Jared Kelly, if, again, if you check out our, our updated list, you can see the, the entirety of the list with more details on why some of these players are moving up and down, some notable risers. But, but Jared Kelly, the right-hander out of uh, Refugio, Texas, I'm, I know I'm going to pronounce that wrong. I think it's pronounced a little bit differently. But Jared Kelly is our top player right now. Um, then we've got Austin Hendrick, Mick Abel, who actually stays in the number three spot. He was one of the few players in our top ten who didn't move. And we're not going to go through the rankings every single no, one of them. No, we won't give you all of them. You'll have to check it out. But those are kind of the top tier 
right there. But even then, you keep going down to the 10, 12 range. All of the players who are in that range, again, could they have the talent to become the number one high school player in this class? It's just a matter of do they improve on some of the, uh, the weaknesses that they've shown? How well do they hit and pitch throughout the fall and throughout the spring, and how do they develop over the course of the year? But from my perspective, this makes it a lot of fun. Um, it's going to be harder probably to get a, a consensus on how these players line up because, again, the separation there isn't as drastic. And if you talk with one team, they might prefer this player. If you talk with another team, they might prefer Ed Howard, a really talented shortstop out of Chicago. So it, it'll be interesting to see how it kind of, um, how it what, kind of works itself out. And what that means is, is that there's more, like, the thing that also stands out with this group is, is again, there's, there's the ability for guys to really move up. Mm-hmm. But there's also, I mean, the, the thing that stands out with that, the difference between being the 10th, viewed as the 10th best high school player mm-hmm. in the class, and being viewed as the best high school player in the class, I mean, that's, that's massive from a financial standpoint. Oh, no that's doubt. The, that's the difference. Again, that's huge. <laughs> that's not, we're not talking about being the 10th is, you know, or the 12th best is still, we're going to offer you a lot of money. by e. Yeah, so we're talking about like the first being offered $7 million if you're a top three pick. And then if you're the 10th in the high school class, you're going somewhere in the 20s. So how about $2.5 million? I mean, that's extremely significant. Here, Obviously. How, how about let's you know like you could be three times as much on your bonus. Yes. So that will be fascinating. It will be. Um, and again, like, and the thing that that also stands out with a deep group like this mm-hmm. is, you know, you said like the top ten and twelve. As we've always talked about, there are pitchers who very much could go from being forty fifth on this list or you know that range. Mm-hmm. To being one of those ten, yeah, and hitters too. I mean, we saw with Keone Cavaco a year ago. So I don't think it's just. Although that, or I'll say though that that is rare. It is rare, but again, possible. Like, but you're right. Know. On the pitching side, we see we see some version of that almost every year. Yeah, I mean, a couple years ago, Ethan Hankins at this point he was our locked in obvious number one. I mean, he just dominated over the summer, and I don't think I don't think Jared Kelly pitched much worse than Ethan Hankins. It wasn't as wow like kind of every time out, but Jared Kelly has premium stuff. He was very consistent. He was very consistent over the summer. He throws with extreme ease. Uh, but again, that, that prep right-handed pitcher with those attributes, attributes, the track record for them is not as impressive as you might think it would be. But the so, flip side of that is just like also saying, like, okay, you know, look at where Grayson Rodriguez was at mm-hmm. this time a couple of years ago. Yep. Look at where Forrest Whitley was a couple of years. You know, like kind of the point you make, like, there are guys who, where they are right now, mm-hmm. nothing about their attributes as a pitcher says first-round pick. Yeah. And come next March with a really good offseason, mm-hmm. they've really hit it hard, yep. they've added weight, they've lost weight, their fastballs, you know, what, what it was touching... Now it's sitting, maybe it's even sitting a tick above where yeah. it was. I mean, we see things. drastic velocity gains even greater than that. Like you said, I mean, Grayson Rodriguez is a guy who was in the upper 80s touching a 91-92 at area code games, I believe. And then during his spring, he was up to 97-98 consistently throughout. And so I think that, that kind of speaks to why some of these evaluators aren't really bearing down on the pitchers because they're going to be, they could be so much different during the spring. And that's really what you're going to go off of for the draft. So, and, and there is pitching depth in this class. A year ago, we didn't have that depth. There are a number of guys 
in that kind of 10 to 25, 30, even in the early 30s, there are a lot of pitchers you say, hey, if they do a couple of these things, uh, they maybe add a few ticks on their velocity, maybe fill out a little bit physically, they're going to be really exciting to see in the spring. So it's going to be a fun class. I think catching depth has also improved from a year ago. Uh, we had a draft that was pretty rich in catching, and Anthony Siegler, Bo Naylor, a couple years ago, I think we're going to have a class that has a few more of those potential first-round high school catchers, which that demographic is also pretty risky, but there are some solid ones in this class. Um, but yeah, so I, I think it's going to be fun to watch, fun to see what happens with them. Um, I think the one area that maybe is a little lighter is shortstop. Especially yes, after having, it is lighter. Especially after having Bobby Witt and C.J. Abrams last year. I was going to say, it's lighter. You include I, I Kavaka mean, I, I, in that shortstop. I mean, it's a lot lighter. Um, Ed Howard is the one guy, and there are some question marks with him that you're going to need to answer. Um, so that's probably the area of weakness. We've talked a lot about the strengths of this high school class, but either way, it's going to be fun. The, now, moving to the college side. Yeah. Last year, we wrote about it two months before the draft, I think, that this was arguably... This was not arguably. This was one of the worst drafts, first round-wise, yeah. for pitching, college pitching, we've ever seen. Yeah, and I think at the time we were wondering, how, okay, how are teams going to draft, with, knowing that it's thinner? Are they going to still push those players up? Because previously, teams put a priority on college pitchers, and they really didn't. I mean, it was the worst college pitching draft, I think, that we've ever had, especially if, depending on how you want to kind of peg it. Um, but the first college pitcher off the board was the latest college pitcher we've ever seen. This year... That will not be the case this no. year. <laughs> that, that I mean, will... If you're a scouting director and you said, every Friday night I'm going to be at an SEC game, mm-hmm. you could absolutely positively make that work because, I mean, I cannot remember, especially again... I let me, you know, let me, you know, again, I, I don't say this because I went to an SEC school. I did. I went to University of Georgia. I'm saying this, though, because in my draft time at BA and my time following the draft, mm-hmm. I cannot remember class, especially when we throw in the fact that the best pitcher in the SEC conceivably is a non-draft eligible prospect in Kumar Rocker. Conceivably mm-hmm. could be. I cannot remember a year like what the SEC's Friday nights are going to look like this year. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be awesome. And I think part of this depth also comes from the fact that a lot of these 2018 prep pitchers are draft-eligible sophomores, and they're going to start impacting this class a year earlier than you typically would see. I mean, guys like JT Ginn, Cole Wilcox, uh, you go a little bit further down, Cole Henry, Slade Ciccone. Um, So... You have a lot of that depth from the 2018 class that's showing up in, in the form of these older um, pitchers, in addition to guys like Emerson Hancock, who really was one of the best pitchers in the country a year ago. Guys like Asa Lacey with Texas A&M, Reed Detmers, who had a fantastic year with Louisville. Um, so it's going to be great for teams uh, that are picking up there and want pitching. There's going to be a lot of guys to choose from. Um, and I don't know, obviously, going from the worst year ever to a, to a year this deep, the contrast is going to be huge. Uh, I'd huge. be curious to know what the kind of the swing has been It's, in it's happened years. before. Like, if you look at some of the bad pitching years yeah. in the past, we have followed it up with, like, great pitching years sometimes. Mm-hmm. So it, it has happened that way before. It's not, you know, it is, the draft is not an even distribution mm-hmm. from year to year. Yeah, no doubt. And then also on the college side, I think the shortstops, again, are interesting 
depending on where guys like Austin Martin ends up. I think he's perfectly capable of playing shortstop. He just hasn't done it um, for a full season. Vanderbilt last year he played third base when he was with the college national team. Illegal so, Williams was handling that so, position. So let me ask you, okay, for him, yeah. how important is it? Like how much more can he help himself? I mean, I think he can help himself more. I don't, I don't know if he could – how far he could really fall just with his kind of hitting ability, his track record hitting in the SEC, his tools. He's a fast guy, a plus runner. He's got elite bat speed. Uh, probably for me, the quickest hands that I've seen on the college side to this point. Now, I haven't seen those guys to the extent that I've seen the high school kids. Um, but I do think that maybe if you come out and, and you show that you can play shortstop at the next level, maybe that puts you above a guy like Emerson Hancock or even Spencer Torkelson for some teams who, who might be a little bit worried about the profile. I mean, a college shortstop with his hitting ability, if he, if he proves he can play defense, maybe that kind of locks you into a higher spot. I, I don't think that he's going to have this huge fall if he plays shortstop and people think he's just okay and will probably have to move to another position. But I think right. Again, that, that's, we see that. I mean, I, I would basically, if we're kind of doing an analogy to last year, mm-hmm. if he did that, then that would kind of put him in the, you know, like, not the saying they're the same prospect, mm-hmm. but that was kind of the, what ended up being the case with, say, like a, like a Braden Shoemake last year. Is that fair? Like, I mean, that Shoemake, like, okay, maybe he stays at mm-hmm. shortstop, maybe he doesn't. You yeah, know. I think that's, that's a decent comparison. I, I Martin's think Martin's more athletic. Martin's more athletic. I think people are probably more excited about his hit tool just because he does it in a more traditional way. Um, Braden Shoemake always got it done, but I know there are people who are concerned with kind of how he went about it. I think Martin's tool set is, a, is is quite a bit more impressive than Shoemake, so I think his ceiling is higher in the draft, and I wouldn't expect him to go that low. And we're talking about a first-round pick here in Braden Shoemake, who, by the way, is doing pretty good in pro ball to start off his career. Um, but Mo- there are a number moving very quickly. Yes, no doubt. Um, but a, a number of other guys at the shortstop position that are exciting. Uh, Casey Martin with Arkansas, another tooled-up guy. He, now he's fascinating because yeah. I feel like he is the guy who there is more to be determined with him. Mm-hmm. His range of possibility, like you said, with, with Austin Martin, he's put enough in the bank already. Yeah, and I think when you get back, what you get back to is just hit tool, and his hit tool is so impressive that there's some safety you feel with that. Right. Casey Martin, athletically, <clears throat> is... Every bit as impressive athletically mm-hmm. as, as Austin Martin, if not more. Right? Yeah, what what I got with scouts when I was talking about these two guys is the tools for Casey Martin are super exciting, really tantalizing. It's just the, uh, the the playability of those tools. Can he make the most of them consistently in games? That's the question that he's going to answer. I think another guy who's kind of similar there is Gage Workman. Not to that caliber at this point for us, but another guy in the top 50 who got a decent bump from his Cape performance He's a guy who I've gotten some, some Logan Davidson comps with, a big physical switch-hitting infielder, has a chance to play shortstop. He's going to play third with Arizona State uh, because they are blessed with some infielders there this year. But that's another guy that I would look to if you're excited about the toolsy guys, if he hits well um, and, and kind of proves his chops defensively. I'd be very curious to see where he ends up going next June as well. Uh, we didn't even talk about maybe the two best defenders in the class in Alika Williams, the Arizona State shortstop, and then Freddie Zamora with Miami as well. Now, and we also haven't talked about what is also interesting. Our number one is... Yeah. Is... You could probably break this down better than anyone, J.J., you've written it's about... It's a bat-first guy. Yeah. A bat... When I say a bat-first guy, you maybe he's an outfielder, you know, maybe you send him out as an outfielder, but really he's a 
Spencer Torkelson's a first baseman, right? I mean, he's more. Yeah. This is not Andrew Vaughn. This is a guy who has more plausible additional paths. Agreed. I think that that maybe will help him. It's not like oh, corner outfielder is a premium defensive position by any means, but Spencer Torkelson is more athletic than Andrew Vaughn. His his ability to kind of be a versatile player who can move off the position and play a left fielder or maybe a right field. Um, if you really need him to, it's there. He can run around pretty well for his size, but you're not drafting him for his defensive versatility or his you're ability to play him a for his positions. Bat. And and you've you've kind of dived into this in recent issues. If you're a Baseball America subscriber, you probably already read this. But but what did you learn when you were going back and, and looking at how first basemen who are drafted high end up doing? It's pretty good. The thing that that is one of the things that stands out, and I was kind of pointing in that direction mm-hmm. by you know talking to scouting directors who said go back and, and run the numbers on it. And what yeah. jumps out is, and again, this is one of those, you, you, you know, this is Schrodinger's cat in some ways. Like there's the possibility, or maybe I'm I'm botching my analogy. <laughs> there's the possibility that if we observe the effect that first baseman taken really high, go really well. And so because of that, teams become more likely to take first baseman high. Mm -hmm. We could end up diluting the effect because the argument can be made that what has happened so far is what we've done is the requirement for a guy to do it, Mm -hmm. to be a top 10 pick as a bat-only guy, the bar was so high, or as a first-round pick, the bar was so high that only the absolute best hitters reached that level. And so, yes, Frank Thomas being really good is great. Mm -hmm. However, he was Frank Thomas. And so the idea being maybe we could overdo this, Mm -hmm. but that said... So basically what you're saying is if you have a first baseman that's a pretty good hitter but maybe doesn't quite clear the bar, you don't need to push him up because of that history. Right, it's but just at the saying, same time, it should make you feel good that if you yes. believe a guy believe is truly, he has cleared that bar. If you, guy, if you believe a guy is truly an elite hitter, elite hitter with elite power, mm-hmm. don't care about the fact that he's a first baseman because mm-hmm. what we've seen is the success rate of those guys is actually really the best of really any position taken mm-hmm. in the first round over the past 40 years or so. And, it's pretty good. And the other part of it is, is that it's not just that the absolute hits are absolute hits. The Todd Heltons, the Frank Thomases, the guys like that where mm-hmm. you go, yeah, well, that's one of the best players in the league for a long time. <laughs> yeah. It's not just those guys. Also, the failure rate, the guys who have been non-productive, who mm-hmm. don't make the majors or are nothing when they get there, that's a lower failure rate than, say, college shortstop, which, mm-hmm. if you think about it in your head, doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah, because like, you probably just work them down the defensive spectrum. And right, say, oh, you're like, okay. Here. Yeah. But, but at the end of the day, the hit tool is absolutely the most important aspect. The guys, the college shortstops who didn't make it, mm-hmm. like, okay, if I'm going to give you a first-round college shortstop whose glove ended up being an impediment, okay, Brad Miller is an example to me. Like Brad Miller always had concerns when he was at you know, Clemson about the glove, whether he'd be able to stay at shortstop. Mm-hmm. You look at his pro career, and in the end, he wasn't able to stay at shortstop. Mm-hmm. His MLB career was probably a little briefer because of that, because he ended up being a first baseman yeah. at, you know, pretty quickly in his MLB career. 
That said, Brad Miller is like, uh, if you, there are a lot worse first round picks than a guy like Brad Miller. Mm-hmm. The guys who are the, the, it just is whiffs, are the guys who did not hit. Yeah. And at that point, there are examples, Corey Myers and other guys, where if you are drafted as a, and a, yes, you could move all the way down the spectrum, all that's true. Mm-hmm. But much like when you talk about catchers, if you draft a catcher because of his, a high school catcher because of his excellent defensive ability, <laughs> and I would put it this way, and let's say that your evaluation of his defense is off by a grade. Mm-hmm. You know, like again, that's, you're projecting out eight years in a lot of cases. If you thought he was going to be a 70 defender and he ended up being a 60, or if you thought he was going to be a 60 and he ended up being a 50, that's not a bad projection. It's easy to have possibly missed by two or three grades. Mm-hmm. But let's say that that's the case. You missed by a grade, but you you always thought he was probably a 40 hitter with 30 power. Mm-hmm. Well, the 55 defender, defensive catcher, with those kind of hit tool grades, power grades, is a backup. Is a backup at best. He's probably a triple A guy. He's mm-hmm. probably a third catcher. Where if you're wrong... On these absolutely elite top of the you know top of the class bats, if you think a seventy hitter seventy power and you're off a grade, which again I'm not saying this is all linear, but if it mm-hmm. is, if you're off a grade and there's sixty hitter sixty power, that guy's playing for a very long yes, time. And no so doubt. you know again the hit tool, if you can be confident that a guy's hit tool is really a sixty hit tool, mm-hmm. you know he's a three hundred hitter and he hits the ball. And he's, you know, he has a, an ISO that's not sub-100. Yeah. That guy's probably going to have a big league, successful mm. big league career of some sort. That's where these first basemen, you know, again, so that takes it back to Spencer Torkelson has a, again, when I talk about the bank, he's already put a pretty good bit in, onto his resume. Yes. Where there is some confidence in that hit tool and that power. No doubt. And I, I kind of wanted to take this to the high school level and see if you found any differences in college first baseman being drafted at this kind of level versus high school first baseman, uh, and how this kind of conversation affects a guy like Blaze Jordan, who's going to be one of the youngest players in this class, one of the most famous players already in this class. It seems like everyone who's following the draft at this point loves this kid. I got to see why this summer. Really impressive hands. He has a chance to be the best hitter in the class. I don't know that we kind of have, again, on the high school side, I don't know if we have that separation just yet, uh, but he does have a special bat. Now, again, I don't know if he's just a first baseman. Probably most and likely, that's, probably that's, most that's likely to be a first question. baseman. But he has done a lot to improve his chances to stick at third base or stay, th- or uh, at least get a chance to play there to begin a career at the next level. Um, but did you see anything that would lead you to believe that guys like uh, Blaze Jordan or a high school first baseman uh, does that track as well? Yeah, I mean this? the high school group now again it's a little tricky because mm-hmm. when you're comparing say, a Blaze Jordan to an Eric Hosmer, yeah. you're talking about two very different things mm-hmm. because, you know, again, it, it is the right-handed throwing. Yeah. Not hitting even necessarily, but the right-handed throwing first baseman. I know you've broken this down before, but explain why the right-handed throwing in particular is more meaningful. Okay, so let's talk about Eric Hosmer, who was the number three pick, if I remember correctly. Yep, number three in 2008. Yeah, okay. With Eric Hosmer... There were no questions about Eric Hosmer's athleticism, mm-hmm. really. I mean, he was, a, he was viewed as a, a really above average or plus defender at first base. Mm-hmm. By the way, like 
had a big, big arm. 95 off the mound. Yeah, 95 off the mound, like, you know, all that. Thought of it, There was thoughts that, you know, if you wanted to, you could probably put him in the outfield. Maybe he's in a right fielder if mm-hmm. you wanted to. Athletic, all that. Mm-hmm. He throws left. Okay, so let's just start. Let's, I mean, I'm sorry. I'm making this too simple <laughs> for the average BA listener. I understand. But, okay, so let's just knock out the positions that he's absolutely positively ruled out of. Second base, shortstop, third base. You can't play him throwing yep. left, obviously. Okay, let's go a step further. Probably Catcher, not going to catch. I, and again, that's one that, like, it is fascinating to me that no team has ever tried to buck this trend. Mm-hmm. Like, because, I mean, let's just be honest, stolen bases are almost not part of the game anymore. Yeah, but I do follow. But generally, like... The bases, yes, it is set up to be a right-hander's world. Mm-hmm. The bases are set up. If you were throwing, you know, to third base as a left-handed throwing catcher, you know, that is a more difficult task yes. than it is for a right-hander. Okay. You know, maybe your back picks to first or a little <laughs> better, you know, whatever. But yes. Okay. So let's throw that position out. So now you're already down to outfield and first base. Yep. Well, if that's the case... A lot of times, a left-handed throwing first baseman is not there because his athleticism is already uh, such a concern that he's run out of positions to yep. play. Right-handed throwing first baseman, high school first baseman, generally is there because what you are saying is, we tried everywhere else. You couldn't play short. You couldn't play second. You couldn't play third. And by the way, you can't play second nowadays. Mm-hmm. And second is not the position that it was in 1975. Yeah, not a lot of second basemen getting drafted this high. Right. But you know, I mean, but not only that, but what I'm saying also, though, is the second base, though, is, is like, okay, you can't... Again, high school second baseman don't get drafted. Yes. I, I understand <laughs> that. But that being said, like, you're not projected as a second baseman. An MLB second baseman, if you have... It is not the nimble position that mm-hmm. it used to be. You mm-hmm. don't get knocked into next week on a double play like you used to, where mm-hmm. you had to have guys who could get, who could leap over the sliding guy mm-hmm. or jump out of the way quick enough. You know, it is not a contact position like it used to be. Yeah. Travis Shaw to take the, uh, the you know, or Mike Moustakis, like all of a sudden it's like, hey guys, we're going to make you a second baseman. Okay, you know, and the, but they do it. It's become a less defensive, you know, like a less demanding position. Mm-hmm. None of those are options. Catcher, so you're not, you know, they're not viewing your body as such that you're like, oh, he's got a strong arm, he moves okay back there, he doesn't run, yeah. he's a catcher, which is also something, you know, that all of those things have already been ruled out. So that generally does mean that you are drafting someone whose athleticism has been significantly questioned. Mm-hmm. Now, I-, I will say, like, we are seeing some trends heading in the direction of saying, yeah, that's what we're saying is the bat's that important. Yep. You know, Kristen Casas, you know, again, when I talk about, again, emphasis, right-handed throwing is what we're talking about here. Yeah. But Tristan Casas a couple <clears throat> years ago played a just plausible enough third base mm-hmm. that when you drafted him, you can say, ah, you know, maybe he's a third base. Yeah. Tristan Casas is not playing third base much anymore already in, in low A. You know, it's not a position. Yeah, it's this not year in eight games, I believe. Eight games, yeah, yeah. sixty-seven innings at third compared to eight hundred and sixteen at first. So uh, we can see where his future defensive home is. <laughs> right, but but here's where it's interesting. Blaze Jordan is is Carlos because you saw him like mm-hmm. Blaze Jordan. If we were talking about 
Blaze Jordan YouTube star, ninth grade, look at ninth grade Blaze mm-hmm. Jordan hitting balls as far as Bryce Harper, mm-hmm. Bryce Jordan. That was a guy who looked like absolutely positively going to be a first baseman. Yeah, no doubt. And, and that was, I think, what struck me immediately once I started putting eyes on him in person. I actually ran into his parents at, at the Under Armour All-America game, and I was just kind of asking how the summer is going. And, and they said one of the things that they were told very early on was like, hey, we need to make some improvements to the body. Um, improve the defensive versatility a little bit, show what you can do from the left side. Uh, and he has done fantastic things to kind of trim down his body, get a little bit more mobile. I think his actions, um, they're, they're not he, elite or anything there, but I think he can do everything solidly enough to give himself a chance. And with continued improvement, who knows? He doesn't look now like an implausible third baseman. No, not at all. I mean, he looks like he fits in right perfectly fine over there. To, to go back to a college side... Not a great draft pick in hindsight, but Brett Wallace mm-hmm. was a third baseman Arizona State. Mm-hmm. And again, I know you know there. Are, Pablo Sandoval did play third base in the big leagues for quite a while. Has Wild. so there are guys who it, who disc you know the spell the body. Oh, the body's yeah. not a third baseman. I, I get that. Blaze Jordan's uh, one of his role models in the MLB. Miguel Cabrera. He played third base for a little while there. He was a shortstop. I mean, crazy when he by, came up. Shortstop. By the way, like base. again, yeah. I remember so probably like, a little more athletic when he was. He an was absolutely. But, you know, but no what doubt. I'm saying is, is Brett Wallace. When Brett Wallace was at Arizona State, mm-hmm. his body made it very implausible that he was ever going to be a third baseman. Mm-hmm. Blaze Jordan now, the Blaze Jordan who is. You know, just basically squared up almost everything on the showcase circuit is not a guy who body wise looks implausible Mm-mm. to be a third baseman. Now, not by any stretch. Now, that is also what we're talking about is, is again, our thing makes scouting a very difficult job. We're talking about a 17 year old. Mm-hmm. Now, whether a 17 year old Blaze Jordan can play third base plausibly, he has the body to do that. Is really irrelevant in mm-hmm. the in the grand scheme of things. If you are, what's crazy is I think he's still sixteen. He turns yeah. he turns seventeen in December. <laughs> okay, sorry. Sixteen year old Blaze Jordan yeah. can do it. Is really immaterial in the long run. Yeah. But you're asking, can what will his body look like as a 23, mm-hmm. 24, 25 year old at the minimum? Yeah. You know. But that said, like, I, he may end up again. Uh, you know, I'll put it another way. Billy Butler coming out of high school who Billy Butler's body was not as good as Blake Jordan. He had a big arm. Billy Butler played third base for a couple of years mm. coming up through the minors, you know, which now I know that there's, there are listeners hearing this and like, who's Billy Butler? And it's like, it wasn't that long ago. Yeah. He was, you know, like a productive DH in the big leagues. But, yeah. um, but you know, but my point being like, yeah, he's going to be a fascinating one. But the thing I want to ask you is, is talking about the hit tool though, mm. it's, it really could be the best hit tool with power, too. Yeah. But, like, bat-to-ball skills, squaring balls up. Yeah, I think... So I think when he's on, it does look like it has a chance to be one of the best hit tools. Now, he did show some swing and miss. Um, it's, there, it's not like he barrels everything that he sees. He did swing and miss a little bit. I think there was a, a sequence at East Coast Pro where Alejandro Rosario carved him up on three pitches. Um, but, again, he, he, the- he showed me enough... To think that he he's got a hit tool that I mean could have a chance to be the best in the class. So who is the guy who like you stood stood out over the summer is like that guy just seems to square everything up. You know that that I think that's where you get into like this class is so muddled. There there really wasn't one guy who okay every if we said that last year who would have been the guy last year last year I mean it's a guy like Riley Green 
probably is the guy, Corbin Carroll. Those two guys really did well for me throughout the entire summer. This year, there will be guys who, at some events, like Austin Hendrick, who's currently our top-ranked position player at East Coast Pro, he was hitting everything, and he was hitting everything with authority. Really impressive look. Um, Dylan Cruz, early on at PDP, I think I actually caught his, his best week at the PDP League because I'm, I'm probably a lot higher on him personally than the industry just because I saw that one really good week. Um, Zach Veen is a guy who, who showed some stuff at the Under Armour game that made you think, wow, okay, this hit tool is really polished. And then a few weeks later at East Coast Pro, showed a little bit more swing and miss. Pete Kerr Armstrong, I mean, <laughs> he's a guy who in February or February or March at the NHSI, I mean, he was the best player on the field. He was barreling everything, spraying the ball all around, in driving front of the ball. Most every scouting director in baseball. Yeah, I mean, another guy kind of further down our list is is Kevin Parada. He's a guy who, who for me, I've seen him hit the ball hard consistently. I feel like he makes really good impact. Um, Isaiah Green is a guy who who played against the 18U team uh, when they were kind of tuning up out of Corona, California. Uh, he's a guy who who really impressed with the hit tool. So I don't know if there's one guy who like. You can point to and say, "Oh, he's obviously the best hitter in the class," uh, which which makes it more difficult again to put these guys together and project on the hit tool, but also makes it a little bit more exciting. So I don't have a great answer for you there, uh, which I think kind of speaks to how this class is, is shaping up. Okay, now I'm going to jump. Before we wrap this up, I do want to jump into it. Like now, let's let's jump into risky uh, profiles. Yeah, Drew Romo. Like when you talk yep. about a catcher who checks the boxes behind the plate. Mm-hmm. He checks a lot of boxes, doesn't he? He does. I was talking to a scout who has a lot of history with him, and he said uh, Drew Romo, when he became a freshman, was immediately the best defensive catcher in his area. I mean, that's very impressive. He said he's one of the best defensive catchers he's ever seen. Uh, he has all the tools there. It reminds me of Will Banfield a couple years ago, although the way they speak about, spoke about Banfield at the time, uh, it was... I was blown away with how they spoke about Will Banfield. I get similar kind of comments with Drew Romo. I mean, he's very polished. He's got fantastic arm strength, but as you know, it's not just arm strength that makes good, good, good defensive. To be honest, it's, 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 it's not, very. It's almost minimal. In, but, in, yeah, in, in the in the in the world of yes. 2019. Now I should say, once the robo umps come if in, if the we'll robo umps come, this changes everything. But no, even his actions behind the plate. I mean, he's an excellent receiver. He moves really well. He blocks really well. He's got a good low target. Uh, I mean, he does everything that you want to see a catcher doing. But, I mean, there are questions with the profile with how much is he going to hit. He homered at the Area Code Games um, at Blair Field, which is notoriously difficult for amateurs to homer at. So that's really impressive. <laughs> but, again, he's a guy who, depending on where you saw him in the summer, you kind of wonder, okay, how much is in the bat? I mean, a switch-hitting catcher with some thump and probably future pop is exciting uh, but, I mean, how much is he going to make contact at the next levels? That's, I mean, that's again, the question he's going to be guys. a guy who, again, when we talk about if he comes out, he is playing, uh, he will play next spring against top-level competition mm-hmm. in Texas. And so with that, if he's consistently driving the ball, barreling yeah. the ball up there, he can really help himself. Yeah, if he comes out and hits like Brett Beatty did last spring, I mean, he's going to be just fine. But if at the same time, he's going to face quality pitching. Mm-hmm. And if in some of those marquee matchups, he doesn't hit, mm-hmm. yeah, he's going to have a very nice floor because, again, the defense is so yeah, good. Yeah, and he also has a very long track record doing well with USA Baseball as well. I think that Which does not hurt. definitely uh, helps him out there. But, yeah, that, that's one. I think another one on the high school side who's really fascinating and actually 
another Southern Southern California prospect is Drew Bowser, uh, the teammate of Pete Crow Armstrong out at Harvard Westlake High School. That's going to be a fun high school. I was going to say they, they might get they may they may be well scouted. Yes, I, I believe. Well, they because will they're be. Harvard Westlake. I mean, there's never been a year <laughs> yes. where it's like, well, we haven't seen any scouts making it out to exactly. Harvard Westlake this year ever. But, but he's a guy who's really tooled up. Got a very high upside. Another kid who, if you see him on the right day, there's nothing that you don't like about him. Uh, but, again, there is some swing and miss. You can see you wonder, is he going to be a shortstop at the next level? Probably going to be a third baseman. Um, but we've seen a lot of these bigger guys at the, at the big league level stick at shortstop with kind of how, how the game has evolved there. A Stanford commit as well, so that adds to the mix of uh, what are we doing with, with Drew Bowser. Uh, those guys are notoriously hard to buy out of the draft. But, but that's another one that's really kind of toolsy, but you wonder what the – what okay. the hit tool is actually going to be like. I'm going to put you on the spot. So we've got 50 and 50. Yeah. We'll, be, we'll keep expanding this. Turn around and we'll have 500 or more because we'll have 500 plus. We'll have the additional guys after that for stateless and all that down the road. 207, less than 279 days for now. But um, who's a guy who's not on this 50? Who you're like, you know, again, doesn't mean he is a, he should be a top 50. We just put this out. We believe these are the top 50 high school players. Mm-hmm. But you just saw, you know, a lot of guys over the summer. Who's the guy who's not on this that you're like, you know, I just, there's something about this guy that, that interests me. Yeah, that's a good one. There are a lot of interesting guys that come to mind, and, and probably like every year I'm going to lean towards the high school side just because I finished watching all these right, kids. Right, that's why I said on the high school side, yeah. Yeah, okay, I missed that. But I was going through and trying to, to get ready for you there. I think oh, and I tried to talk it out a little bit <laughs> to give you a little bit of time. There are a couple guys who interest me. Slade Wilkes is an outfielder out of Columbia Academy in Mississippi, and, and Mississippi has a number of interesting prep prospects this year. But he was a guy, he, he's a little bit older for the class, um, but he's a guy who just can constantly barrel the ball up uh, with impact. He's got a weird setup, kind of a little hitch in his, his leg kick, but it works for him, and he timed up. Timed up some of the best pitchers in the class pretty consistently for me this summer. His bat is interesting. Um, kind of on the other side of things, Kyle Russell is a shortstop out of Washington who I got to see at Area Codes. Um, he didn't hit every game because he was dealing with a hand injury at the time, but the actions that he showed in the field were really impressive. I think he's got to be got a chance to be a really, really good defensive shortstop. Um, curious to see how much he'll, he's able to do with the bat. Um, so Russell is a Washington State commit, and then Slade Wilkes is a Southern Mississippi commit. Both guys who I think uh, have a chance to impact the draft, depending on what happens in the next 279 days. Yeah. Well, actually, I'll say 278 because by draft day, you hopefully have your draft. Yeah. Set, so hopefully, yeah. we have it set for you guys by then. Yeah. But, uh, but we'll be talking a lot more about this in the uh, in the months to come. Um, you know, again, really, I mean, again, it, it, right now we have 18U is playing, you know, at the World Cup. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not that far away from Jupiter, which is kind of the truly kind of put a bow on the, the 2019 season, I guess, in many ways. Mm-hmm. For, uh, as we get ready, I can't believe we're getting really roll into the 2020 season. Yeah, you know. it's wild. But, um, but we will have a lot more, obviously. You know, if you go to BaseballAmerica.com right now, and you are a Baseball America subscriber, you can check out our top 50 high school players, our top 50 college players. Before long, we will have a lot more on that. Before long, we will be, uh, you know, we're also going to be diving into recruiting uh, rankings, uh, you know, this month. There is a ton coming at Baseball America. Mm-hmm. If you're not a subscriber, it's baseballamerica.com store. You can fix that right now. For those who are subscribers, we say again, as we always do, 
thank you because thank you thank you you know that's i mean <laughs> that that is what powers us to do what we do you know and it does you know we Carlos is happy to traverse all around the country and see all the players, but mm-hmm. thankfully, uh, you know, we, we, you know, the subscribers fund that, so we can do that. So we thank you for that. Um, you know, we also have a new top hundred up today for the prospect fans. Uh, check that out at baseballamerica.com as well. And that will wrap it up for today. So for Carlos Colazzo, I'm JJ Cooper. So long, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.